This episode of America the Podcast is brought to you by Real American Universal Healthcare. Hey there, friend. You look, well, really sick. Oh, you're just gonna throw up on my feet, huh? You should probably go to the hospital. What's that you say? You can't go to the hospital because you don't have insurance. You say that you're one medical bill away from losing your home and are prioritizing your family over your health, just like so many Americans do every day. Well, have I got a solution for you! Introducing Real American Universal Healthcare. Real American Universal Healthcare is like all of those GoFundMes for sick friends you donate to, except at a national level. How do you pay for such an amazing thing, you are absolutely asking? Well, it's simple. With Real American Universal Healthcare, wealthy Americans would receive a small tax on their millions and billions, which they would barely notice. The resulting tax revenue would then pay for the healthcare of every adult and child in America, thus promoting a healthy, functional society. That means you and your loved ones would no longer risk going into poverty if any of you get sick or injured and would even see your tax bill lowered. What's that you say? You say you may become a billionaire someday so you don't want people like them to get taxed because of the razor-thin chance that you may join their affluent ranks? Well, aren't you stupid? To the rest of the people who live in reality and would rather see every child and adult in America have the right to healthcare, please tell your senators and representatives that you want them to adopt real American universal healthcare for your country. All of your descendants will thank you for it. That's Real American Universal Healthcare, available wherever freedom is sold. So are you going to try and get back into the dating game now that everyone's getting vaccinated? I mean, dating safely, of course. Well, since I'm an immortal, I'm not at any risk. I only received the vaccine to set a good example for my fellow Americans. But yes, I am attempting to woo a woman or a man to court. I'm on all of the apps, Bumble, Raya, that one for famous people or whatever, a Billionaire Booty Call, which is an app for 0.01% people like myself, but there's only like eight people on that app, so it's kind of a wash. I also tried Hinge, but all of my friends are either dead, ethereal, a combination of both, or uh, simply just don't like me. Oh, why don't you think they don't like you? Well, it's probably because I'm richer than all of them and constantly bring it up. I always thought people liked to hear about my insane wealth, but alas, inspiring tales of the ridiculously rich aren't as in demand as they once were. Yeah, people usually don't like it when a person brings up how rich. Yes, between my offensively massive land holdings, my many investments in literally every industry, lobbying for any company with a checkbook, and all of my general gentleman thievery, I've amassed quite a fortune over the past 250 years. The hell's a gentleman thief? Ah, gentleman thievery is when a rich person gets bored and steals things. It's loads of fun, and I look really cool doing it because I get to wear a suit. Much like how Ben Franklin was a gentleman scientist who stole knowledge from the gods to benefit mankind, I stole from rich people like myself to benefit, well, myself. I stole things like art, rare artifacts, General treasure, rubies, diamonds, and the sort. I even stole an island once, but the people of Puerto Rico made me give it back. Easiest hanging I ever talked my way out of. I'm like Thomas Crown, except better because I'm an American. Alas, I don't really have time to steal physical things anymore, 
just elections, as well as the hearts of my listeners. God damn, how are you not in jail? Money, power, and good old-fashioned luck. I'm also arguably the smartest person in the world. Wouldn't you agree? I would not agree because that's nowhere close to true. You say that, but as they say, with age comes intelligence. That may be true for some, but whoever they are, I would ask them to reevaluate our geriatric leaders in both politics and business as proof that their statement is categorically false in the majority of cases. Well, wasn't that a bigly long-winded sentence? Are you proud of that, Mr. Smarty Pants? Yes, I am. Well, you're wrong. How do I know you're wrong? Because I am always right. So much so, I single-handedly created two of the most important documents in American history, and these next two episodes will prove it. How? Well, Mr. Pants of Smart, I invite you to find out tonight on America the Podcast. <laughs> Back. Hello, America. It's America, the podcast. So, what are the two most important documents in American history? Well, that is a matter of opinion. Seeing that my opinion is the only one that matters, I would say one is the Declaration of Independence, which I will speak about in the next episode, the other is the legendary common sense the pamphlet that sparked the revolution in the hearts of the colonial masses. Yeah, you mentioned that in the last episode. Oh, yeah, true story. The history teacher at my Christian school, Harvest Christian Academy, told me Ben Franklin wrote Common Sense, which I learned later wasn't true. Ha! That's Christian school education for you. Dinosaurs weren't real, and Moses and Jesus were founding fathers of America. Real Betsy DeVos energy there. As a founding father myself, I can tell you that neither biblical character was present at the founding of our nation, and I would hope I would not have to clarify that at this point. Goddamn Texas education system. <laughs> For sure. Uh, but I did learn actual history later on, and I'm pretty sure Common Sense was written by Thomas- Don't say his name! <laughs> Why not? Just trust me, alright? How the hell are you going to tell the story of Common Sense without saying the name Thomas Paine? Thomas Paine! Ah, ah son of a bitch! What the hell was that? Uh, it's his theme song. If you're a magical being like myself, or have been in the presence of a magical being on a regular basis, that song can be heard in the ether of the universe whenever you say Tom's full name. Wait, why does Thomas Paine- Thomas Paine! Ah, uh, by the damn. demons of hell! Sorry, why does he have a theme song? No one knows. It started shortly after, well, I'll get to that later. My guess is that since the old and the new gods made me the embodiment of America, they threw Tom a bone since he ended up getting such a raw deal after his fame dwindled. What do you mean? Our story begins in Philadelphia in December 1775. If you're wondering, yes, I had been in town for the Second Continental Congress back in May of 75, and no, I won't be covering it. Remember, loud, sweaty white men yelling at each other. Not that interesting or pleasant to hear. But people may want to hear it regardless. Then I will tell short tales of the parts I am glossing over or outright skipping after this very important season of America the Podcast has concluded. Will that work? Sounds good to me, and I hope for the audience. Oh, it'll sound good to them, and will continue to sound good for all eternity. Eternity being how long the great American Empire will last. May I continue? I'm gonna go ahead and guess I don't have a choice in the matter. You do not. As I was shouting, it was December 1775 and I was in town after being invited by Ben Franklin to come stay with him for a couple of weeks. 
partially for revolution business, but mostly because Ben wanted me to join him while he went, in his words, whoring. Dude, don't say that. Hey, I'm with you. I don't like that term either. Remember, America, sex work is work and should be legalized, taxed, and regulated. But, yes, that is what Ben called it, and you told me at the end of the last episode you wanted this to be as historically accurate as possible. So, which is it? Fine, just use it sparingly. Will do, buckaroo. Will do, buckaroo. As I was shouting, I had arrived early in the day to grab a beer and a cheesesteak, which was mostly just beef with melted cheese on it since the sweet, sweet cheese whiz hadn't been invented yet. Yes, it was indeed a dark time until the advent of said whiz. After eating, I had my driver take me to Ben's print shop so we could begin our fortnight of fornication. Benjamin, it has been too long. Come in, Thebadias. It's good to see you, my friend. How have you been, good sir? I've been well. The gout is acting up now and again. I've mostly been tinkering with and pondering the future of colonies. How you doing, sir? Oh, mostly the same, minus the gout. Making money where I see the opportunity, preparing both mentally and physically for what I fear may be an inevitable and long war with England. These bloody backs further frustrate the populace with each passing day, and, after last year's skirmish at Lexington and Concord, I'm afraid independence from goddamn King George may be our people's only option. I fear the same, considering how the last congressional meeting went, but sadly, and I'm, I'm unsure if all the colonies are with us in the matter of independence. Mr. Jefferson being on our side may help, but only time and patience can tell. If only someone could holistically sum up the frustrations of our people. Indeed. May I offer you some water? Oh, no, thank you. However, I would like to stop at a pub for some drinks and to continue our discussion. I have many ideas that I would like your opinion on, especially in regards to the logic of independence. I would very much like to hear them, my friend. Wonderful. Let's enjoy an evening of liberty and libations before our holiday of whoring. Dude, I thought you didn't like using that outdated word. I don't now. People change, Timothy. Besides, it may be outdated at this point, but it was in date in 1775. There were a lot of words in date back then. And I can honestly say I used less than a third of them. Not the racist ones, at least. Well, I guess if you have to set the bar somewhere. <laughs> oh, son, the bar has been lower than the Grand Canyon since the day the Mayflower landed. In fact, the literal bar is actually located under the Grand Canyon and is guarded by GC-98 a secret government organization dedicated to keeping that secret. And, uh, yeah. I am realizing I should not be mentioning them, so I will stop talking about GC-98 at the end of this sentence. Dude, am I gonna get arrested for you saying shit like this? Oh no, I like you way too much and promise to protect you. You once told me that your promises were worth as much as a Delaware dollar, whatever that means. I said that. Yeah, you did. Hmm, interesting. Well then. Ben and I arrived at the pub and began our eve of indulgence. Unbeknownst to me, a master thief was lying in wait. You mean, oh wait, let me cover my ears. Yes, none other than Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine. But you'll have to wait to hear what happens after a brief commercial break. Thomas may not have made money off common sense, but I will do everything I can to make money off of you, the listener. So help me, America. We'll be right back after this. It's America, the podcast. America the Podcast is brought to you by Science. Science, now available in two varieties, 
actual fact or society dismantling fiction. As I was shouting, Ben and I arrived at the pub where a certain thief had been waiting for his next mark. Is that him over there? Indeed, the dark shadowy figure in the corner. Look at him, toiling away on his piece of parchment, drinking his beverage like he owns the place. I think he's just chilling, dude. Chilling before the moment he strikes like a viper, you mean? I'm still having a hard time figuring out what happened here. Just keep your eye on Tom while my 1775 counterpart begins to speak with Ben. Where are you? Oh, we're entering now. Barkeep, a round of drinks for every man here. In the name of liberty, tonight's drinks are all on me. Thabadias A. Star. <laughs> Mighty generous of you, Thabadias. What can I say, old friend? Being around my American brothers and sisters in the city of brotherly love, a city that is a cornerstone of our revolution, well, it just fills me with joy and patriotism. It is still lost on me as to why the majority of our brethren are so hesitant to join our cause. Our people will need time, my friend. That may be true, but I get the feeling in the pits of my soul that time may be running out. The need for action may be at hand. Do elaborate, sir. Feel as if you have something very important on your mind. Well, my friend, several issues have been weighing on my soul. One moment. Barkeep, another for yours truly, and keep them coming. You were saying? Well, Benjamin, where should I begin? Take the concept of society and government as a whole, seeing we may need to form a new one, potentially. Society is produced by our wants and government by our wickedness. The former promotes happiness positively by uniting our affections. The latter negatively by restraining our vices. The one encourages intercourse, the latter creates distinctions. The first a patron, the last a punisher. I do see your point, my friend. But do you think you may be jaded in this thought? Not at all. Don't get me wrong, my friend. Society in every state is a blessing, but government, even in its best state, is a necessary evil. In its worst state, an intolerable one. For when we suffer, or are exposed to the same miseries by a government, which we might expect in a country without government, our calamity is heightened by reflecting that we furnish the means by which we suffer. That is all indeed true, but a government is needed nonetheless, my friend. Though I concur, here then is the origin rise of government, namely a mode rendered necessary by the inability of moral virtue to govern the world. Here too is the design and end of government, namely freedom and security. And however our eyes may be dazzled with show or our ears deceived by sound, however prejudice may warp our wills, or interest to darken our understanding, the simple voice of nature and of reason will say, it is right. Take as well the English constitution which has been explained as thus. The king say they is one, the people another. The peers are a house in behalf of the king, the commons in behalf of the people. But this hath all the distinctions of a house divided against itself. Those expressions are pleasantly arranged Yet when examined, they appear idle and ambiguous. It will always happen that the nicest construction that words are capable of, when applied to the description of something which either cannot exist, 
or is too incomprehensible to be within the compass of description will be words of sound only, and though they may amuse the ear, they cannot inform the mind. This explanation includes a previous question. How came the king by a power which the people are afraid to trust and always obliged to check? Such a power could not be a gift of a wise people, neither can any power which needs checking be from God. Yet the provision which the Constitution makes supposes such a power exists. Then in your opinion, King George, or rather any man in creation, is not ordained by God and the citizens are ignorant of that fact. Precisely. The system of monarchy and its constitution are flawed at the core. As a man who is attached to a prostitute is unfitted to choose or judge a wife, so any prepossession in favor of a rotten constitution of government will disable us from discerning a good one. Huh. A lot of what you just said is the actual text of common sense. I told you! And you can see Thomas over there writing down every damn word. I'd go on for quite a while and progressively get more drunk, so let's fast forward a bit. How do we do that? Just gotta go to the void of time for a second. Oh my god, where are we? The void of time. It's kind of like that staging area gun room thing in the Matrix, except with more guns. This is weird. Don't worry, just gotta find the remote that movie Click was based off of and fast forward the story. Ah, found it. Here we go. See? Jesus, I talked for a while. People even started gathering around me to listen. Not Thomas, that little troll, just sat there in the corner, scribbling my words. Oh, let's stop here and hear what I'm shouting. Ugh, that made me dizzy. Well, sit back and listen. My voice is usually calming to the nerves. <laughs> right. But there is another greater distinction for which no truly natural or religious reason can be assigned, and that is the distinction of men into kings and subjects. Male and female are the distinctions of nature, good and bad the distinctions of heaven, but how a race of men came into the world so exalted above the rest and distinguished like some new species is worth inquiring into and whether they are the means of happiness or of misery to mankind. In the early ages of the world, according to the scripture chronologically, there were no kings, the consequence of which there were no wars. It is the pride of the kings which throw mankind into confusion. What country lives with no king? Holland to name one. Without a king, they have enjoyed more peace for the last century than any of the monarchical governments in Europe. Antiquity favors the same remark, for the quiet and rural lives of the first patriarchs hath a happy something in them which vanishes away when it comes to the history of Jewish royalty. Government by kings was first introduced into the world by heathens from whom the children of Israel copied the custom. It was the most preposterous invention the devil ever set on foot for the promotion of idolatry. The heathens paid divine honors to their deceased kings, and the Christian world hath improved on that plan by doing the same to their living ones. How impious is the title of sacred majesty applied to a worm whom, in the midst of his splendor, is crumbling into dust? As exalting one man so greatly above the rest cannot be justified on the equal rights of nature, so neither can it be defended on the authority of scripture, for the will of the Almighty as declared by Gideon and the prophet Samuel expressly disapproves of government by kings. Should we fast forward again? This is getting long. Indeed. And what about hereditary success of our divine rulers? 
Monarchy in every instance is the property of government. To the evil of monarchy, we have added that of hereditary succession. And as the first is a degradation and lessening of ourselves, so the second claimed as a matter of right is an insult and imposition on posterity. For all men being originally equals, no one by birth should have the right to set up his own family in perpetual preference to all others forever, though one might deserve some more decent degree of honors from his contemporaries his descendants might be far too unworthy to inherit them. It seems you have the ear of our friends, Mr. Stard. I would hope as much. And not just friends. Let them be known as a new generation without a king. They shall be an electorate. It is needless to spend much time in exposing the folly of hereditary right. If there are any so weak as to believe it, let them do so. I shall neither copy their humility nor disturb their devotion. Yet I should be glad to ask how they suppose kings came at first. The question admits but three answers, either by lot, by election, or by usurpation. Saul was by lot, yet the succession was not hereditary. Neither does it appear from that transaction there was any intention it should ever have been. If the first king of any country was by election, that likewise establishes a precedent for the next. Can I try the remote? Of course. Just don't hit chapter select, otherwise we might get to the Civil War a season early. Oh, this is fun. Can I borrow this for a while? Eh, the last time I let someone borrow it, they ended up causing the Bay of Pigs. Kennedy? Kennedy, yes. Jack was just so charming, I couldn't say no. Oh, stop here. But what of America herself? Ah. I have heard it asserted by some that America hath flourished under the former connection with Great Britain. The same connection is necessary towards her future happiness and will always have the same effect. Nothing can be more fallacious than this kind of argument. We may as well assert that because a child has thrived upon milk that it is never to have meat, or that the first 20 years of our lives is to become the precedent for the next 20. But even this is admitting more than is true, for I answer roundly that America would have flourished as much, and probably more, had no European power had anything to do with her. The commerce by which she hath enriched herself are the necessaries of life and will always have a market while eating is the custom in Europe. But she has protected us, say some. That she has engrossed us is true and defended the continent at our own expense, as well as her own, is admitted, and she would have defended Turkey from the same motive, namely the sake of trade and dominion. Alas, we have long been led away by ancient prejudices and made large sacrifices to superstition. We have boasted the protection of Great Britain without considering that her motive was interest, not attachment, that she did not protect us from our enemies on our account, but her enemies on her account, from those who had no quarrel with us on any other account and who will always be our enemies on the same account. But are we not English as well as American? What does admitting we are of English descent amount to? Nothing. Britain being now an open enemy extinguishes every other name and title, and to say that reconciliation is our duty is truly farcical. The next war may not turn out like the last, and it should not. The advocates for reconciliation now will be wishing for separation then, because neutrality in that case would be a safer convoy than a man of war. Everything that is right or neutral pleads for separation. The blood of the slain, the weeping voice of nature cries, "'Tis time to part." But what of those who truly wish to reconcile with England? I would carefully avoid giving unnecessary offense, yet I am inclined to believe that all those who espouse the doctrine of reconciliation may be included within the following descriptions. Interested men, who are not to be trusted, 
weak men who cannot see, prejudiced men who will not see, and a certain set of moderate men who think better of the European world than it deserves. And this last class, by an ill-judged deliberation, will be the cause of more calamities to this continent than all the other three. Reconciliation is now a fallacious dream. Nature hath deserted the connection and art cannot supply her place. For as Milton wisely expresses, never can true reconcilement grow where wounds of deadly hate have pierced so deep. My friends, no man was a warmer wisher for reconciliation than myself before the fatal 19th of April 1775. But the moment the event of that day was made known, I rejected the hardened, sullen-tempered pharaoh of England forever. I disdain the wretch that with the pretended title of father of his people can unfeelingly hear of their slaughter and composedly sleep with their blood upon his soul. You make valid points, Thebadias. But of course, can ye give to prostitution its former innocence? No. Then neither can ye reconcile Britain and America. I fear you might be right. If only the people could think as you do. Maybe you should write these thoughts down. I see my friend over there has been scribbling away since you've been speaking. Eh, let him write his books. I would rather speak directly with the people. But maybe tomorrow. Shall we head out for our evening of entertainment, Benjamin? After you, good sir. Who is that friend of yours anyway? He looks familiar. He's a like-minded fellow I've come to know. Goes by the name of Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine! What happened after that? Well, Ben and I went off to go fornicate. As for Tom, he had written down everything I said verbatim and formatted it into a pamphlet. He then brought it to Ben Franklin a few weeks later after I had returned to Boston, no doubt to avoid my wrath. Upon receiving it, Ben then printed the pamphlet, but at the request of Mr. Payne, did so anonymously, at least at first. To make matters worse, in my eyes at least, Thomas also didn't charge any money for the writing itself, just gave it away like some revolutionary Dr. Jonas Salk. Ah, so that's why you're mad. You mean aside from the fact that he wrote down everything I said? Of course it's why I'm mad. He used my very important quotes and didn't make a dime off of them, meaning I didn't make a single dime either. He was a goddamn thief. Common sense went on to become one of the most largely circulated writings in history. He didn't plagiarize everything from me, though. Tom also put out several more pamphlets, including The American Crisis Shortly After Common Sense, Rights of Man, which Napoleon slept with under his pillow, true story, and then his book arguing for religious freedom, The Age of Reason. Just six hours after writing that last one, Thomas was arrested and taken to Luxembourg prison during the French Revolution. Damn, did he get guillotined? <laughs> no, no. The man who had him arrested was actually guillotined instead, shortly after Tom's arrest. Tom sat in the prison for a while, mostly because I was pissed at him for stealing my words, and I had convinced President Washington to leave him there for quote-unquote political reasons. Dude, that's fucked up. He was fine. James Monroe got him out eventually and brought him back to America on one of our new warships. He went on to live many more years trying to make the country and world a better place, including urging President Jefferson to form an Association of Nations. Oh, like the United Nations? Precisely. Obviously, that did not pan out and arguably still has not done so. Right. So what did you do exactly in response to Thomas Paine? Thomas Paine! Jesus! God damn it! Uh, sorry. What did you do in response to him quote-unquote robbing you? I mean, aside from convincing President Washington to leave him in a French prison during the revolution. Which, again, pretty messed up, dude. That was nothing. I've made sure people go down for much less than what Thomas did. A man named James Callender once started a rumor that Ben Franklin and I were British spies. And I, well, 
you and the listeners can just go Google James Callender and draw your own conclusions. As for Thomas, let me regale you with one more small caveat to the life of the man who started as a dressmaker in England and would go on to write three of the four greatest pieces of philosophy in American history only after plagiarizing one of the four pieces from a drunk bastard in a bar. Although the American people grew to despise him for writing The Age of Reason, Thomas died on June 8, 1809, with quiet dignity at his home in New Rochelle, New York. His funeral was attended by just six individuals. Did you go? Unfortunately, no. I was in Washington at the time, serving as an advisor to President James Madison, and didn't find out Tom died until several months after. Some years later, a man named William Corbett felt Tom hadn't received the honor he rightly deserved, so he stole Tom's bones in the dead of night and brought them to England. Once there, he hoped to have Tom buried in a magnificent mausoleum, but instead was met with jokes and ridicule for the idea. He then tried to organize a dinner in Tom's honor, but no one wanted to come, mostly because they were serving British food. After that, William got real goddamn weird and tried to sell locks of Tom's hair that he had pressed into metal rings, which no one bought. Not even me, and I buy pretty much everything. After William died, his son inherited the bones and attempted to auction them off, but was thwarted by the Lord Chancellor of England. After that, no one really knows what happened to the bones. There's a rumor that William's son sold them off piece by piece, but we can't take rumors seriously, right? Right? You know where they are, don't you? Maybe. Oh boy, I'm scared to ask, but where are they? Right here. Oh my god. <laughs> I told you I'd get you in the end, Thomas. Well, actually, I never confronted him about the plagiarism, so he never actually knew I was upset. I just bottled up the anger I felt, like a true red, white, and blue-blooded American, until it manifested decades later at the Battle of Antietam, where I used said anger to personally kill 200 Confederate soldiers. That's... Well, actually kind of awesome. Fuck the Confederacy. But not the point. You keep Tom's bones under your studio desk? Where else would I keep them? In the ground at his house in New York. Eh, they're safer here with me. Don't want any of William Corbett's descendants grave-robbing the man who helped light the fire of revolution in the hearts of the colonies. Ugh, they smell really bad, man. Well, they're bones. How did you get them? Are they all there? Ah, right. When William's son wasn't able to auction them off, I heard through certain channels that he was still looking for someone to buy them off the books. So, I sent my secretary to England with a bag of gold, and he came back with this box of Tom's bones. But, yes, it looks like they're all here. However, I do give each president a metatarsal as an inauguration gift. When I gave Trump his, he ate it like an M&M. Almost choked on it. Wow, this is... I... I don't know what to do with this. You want to hold a femur? No, man, you gotta get it out of here. All the bones. If you can't bury them at Tom's house, go bury them at one of your estates or something. That sounds like a good idea. The visiting one of my estates part. The bones are staying here. They can be a mascot for the show. No. Well, then just put the bones back under the desk until I get back from my vacation. I think I'll go to my new island. And where's it at? Ah, well, I actually just bought Grand Cayman Island, so now I own all of the hedge funds that headquarter their businesses on the island itself. Me and the army of dolphins I plan on buying will be literally swimming in money before too long. That said, I will be in your ears again for the mini-episode next week and episode 5 the week after that. Stay safe and get vaccinated, America. Good night, good fight, and may all of the gods bless the one and only Thomas Paine! Thomas Paine! It's America! The Podcast! This has been America, the podcast, hosted by me, Thebediah Star, the embodiment of and only hope for America. Tim is also there. 
You can catch my very important show every week on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Shway Media, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and give us a five-star review on one of those fancy apps while you're at it. I command it. You can also hear the show and access more content at americathepodcast.com. And don't forget to watch Rapid Fire News and other very important segments on TikTok and Instagram at America the Podcast. You can also find the show on Facebook and Twitter if you're into that sort of thing. And now to contractually credit the people who help make this show possible, i.e. put it on the internet. America the Podcast is a Shway Media original podcast. Writers for the show include me, Thebedai is a star, Tim Phillippe, Alana Matos, and Michael Sizemore. Executive producers for the show are Alana Matos and Tim Phillippe. Since the space-time continuum doesn't allow for audio recording or something dumb like that, I don't know, the voice of Ben Franklin was provided by Michael Sizemore. The mid-show commercial was read by Alana Matos. My voice is my own, and I allow Tim to speak when it suits me. Sound design is by Tim Phillippe, and all dialogue is mixed in Shway Media Studios. All research and fact-checking for the show was performed by Michael Sizemore and Tim Phillippe. A full list of research sources for this season of America the Podcast is linked in the description of each episode. The America the Podcast theme song is by Timmy Two-Step, and all other supporting audio heard in the show was procured through audioblocks.com, freesound.org, and ambient-mixer.com. Oh, and I legally, for some reason, have to say that Common Sense was written by Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine! That's it. Go on now. You hear? This has been a production of Shway Media, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit shwaymedia.com. Thank you.